0: Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors.
1: Mr. President starring Edward Arnold. The American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations present Mr. President. Mr. President at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House, dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear, True human stories of Mr. President. Edward Arnold has, Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It is Sunday, and the old mansion is resting quietly after a busy week. We walk through the great doors under the presidential seal, across the foyer, and down the long hall to the president's study. Come in. Sit down, won't you? You know, when you take on a new job, nothing helps more than knowing you have the confidence of the people who hired you. But when that job is being President of the United States and the people who hired you are the majority of the people, you must never forget that they can fire you as easily as they hired you. And the trust they have bestowed upon you can get you into a lot of trouble. Once it almost got us into a war. Which president was it? Well, later on I'll tell you. But meanwhile, you may be able to guess. (laughs) It was a morning I shall never forget. It was shortly after my inauguration. I was sitting at my desk in the White House when my secretary, Miss Sarah, came in.
0: Good morning, Mr. President. Good
1: morning, Miss Sarah.
0: I brought in the more important letters and dispatches and a few papers to sign, Mr. President. Oh,
1: thank you. Thank you very much. They don't give you much of a chance to break in on a job like this, do they? (laughs) (laughs) You'll catch
0: on to it very quickly, I'm sure. Now, uh, you have an appointment.
1: An appointment?
0: If you're ready for it now,
1: sir. Yes, I'm quite ready. Who is it?
0: Vice President Clinton wants to see you sometime this morning, mm-hmm. but right now there's a newspaper man waiting, up, Mr. John L. O'Sullivan.
1: Well, well, the most influential opposition journalist in the country comes to see a man he bitterly opposed. Well, that could be auspicious, Miss Sarah, or it could be ominous. Well, let's find out. Show him in. <laughs> yes, Mr.
0: President. Mr. O'Sullivan, the President will see you now.
1: Thank you, Miss Sarah. Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning, Mr. O'Sullivan. Can we shake hands? Uh, uh, of course, Mr. President. <laughs> well, it doesn't feel any different than on the other hand, even though it wrote some rather strong editorials against me during the campaign. <laughs> well, I see no reason, sir, why a political difference should interfere with one's personal respect. Well, I'm glad you feel that way. Sit down, won't you? Thank you very much. Mr. President, I... I want to congratulate you on your inaugural address. Oh? Why? It was a very good speech. Well, I'm sure you disagreed with every word of it. <laughs> well, it did avoid the most important issue. It gave no expression to the will of the people and our manifest destiny. Destiny for what? Well, as you know, sir, my paper has supported the policies of your predecessor. Expansionist policies. Yes, I know. Uh, call them what you will. I've always stood four square for liberty, not only for America, but for all the peoples of the world. Uh, that's a fine sentiment. I agree, and I assure you, Mr. O'Sullivan, that I will use my good offices to defend, to defend freedom and liberty wherever they are threatened. Well, this is very encouraging, Mr. President. So, you see, we have no argument after all. <laughs> Not any longer. Well, good day, Mr. President, day, and President. Uh, my congratulations and best wishes. Sir. Thank you very much, Mr. O'Sullivan. Good day, sir. Leaving so soon, Mr.
0: O'Sullivan?
1: Yes. Uh, goodbye, Miss Sarah.
0: Oh, uh, have you met uh, Vice President Clinton?
1: Hello, John. Hello,
2: Harry. I see
0: you have. Excuse me, gentlemen. I'll tell the president you're here, Mr.
1: Clinton. Courtesy call, John? Yes, very satisfactory one, too. Oh? Perhaps I had the wrong idea about the president. You know, he agreed with me. About what? Freedom. Harry, I think we can rely upon the president to use this office in the best interests of our country.
0: The British Chargé d'Affaires is here. Oh, thank you, Monsieur. Char- come in, Mr.
1: Crampton, will you? Uh, uh, good afternoon, Mr. President. I've been rather expecting you to call, Mr. Crampton. Uh, good. Then I can come right to the point, Mr. President. Uh, you're aware, of course, that certain groups in your country are trying to organize a revolt in Canada against the mother country. Uh, well, I've heard rumors. Uh, Mr. President, I know the previous administration was, uh, well, expansionist-minded. Now, my government would like an expression from you on your attitude in this matter. Very well, Mr. Cranton. I consider our treaties a sacred obligation, and I am determined to enforce the neutrality laws of the nation to the utmost. I am determined to prevent the execution of any schemes of violence against Canada or any other country. Is that sufficient assurance? I could not ask for more, sir. Uh, But uh, may I convey such a fearless and determined policy to my government? By all means, Mr. Crampton, this is no secret policy. This is the firm neutrality stand of my administration. me yourself, Mr. President, you would support the cause of freedom anywhere. Yes, I did, Mr. O'Sullivan. Then how do you explain your statement to Mr. Crampton? I've already explained it. We have treaties and we have neutrality laws. Then you don't want Canada to be free. That is for Canada and Canadians to decide. But the cause of freedom... Wouldn't, wouldn't annexation be a better word, Mr. O'Sullivan? Mr. President, it is our destiny to free the world from tyranny. Not only the Canadians, but the Mexicans and the Cubans. Isn't it true that you supported the last administration's efforts by uh, to buy Cuba? Spain refused to sell, so now we must help Cuba achieve her freedom. Mr. President, there are laws of political as well as of physical gravitation. And if an apple severed by the tempest from its native tree cannot choose but fall to the ground, Cuba, forcibly disjoined from its own unnatural connection with Spain, and incapable of self-support, can gravitate only towards the North American Union, which, by the same law of nature, cannot cast her off from its bosom. Dribble. Dribble, sir, those are the words of your illustrious predecessor. Oh, they are? Well, none of my predecessors is president right now, and I am. And I intend to enforce the laws of this land. And I intend to support red-blooded Americans who believe as I do. And are not afraid to fight for freedom. We have treaties, Mr. O'Sullivan. And we have a neutrality law. Violation of either will lead, lead to war. That is up to Congress, not to you or me. But I shall see that any violation will be dealt with by our courts. Is that clear? It is clear that you are violating the mandate of the people. And no one dares stop the American people when they are on the march. General Lopez, I have the word of my friend General Gonzalez here in New York that you
3: are well qualified to lead this enterprise of ours. And my good friend General Gonzalez has assured me that you, Senor Sullivan, are a real patriot. And that I can trust in you.
1: Yes, very well. Now, if I supply the ships, ammunition, equipment, and a sufficient number of American recruits, how sure can we be of our reception in Cuba?
3: I, Narciso Lopez, give you my word, senor. Thousands of my fellow Cubans will arise at my signal. Uh, But, senor, what about your Presidente? Will he not interfere? (laughs) He won't dare. The people are
1: behind your struggle. And if he did interfere, he'd be out of the White House next election, maybe before. After all, General, you don't think I would commit my newspaper and my fortune to your cause if... I didn't think we could succeed.
3: But these laws the Presidente speaks of... What uh... can the President do with liberty-loving Americans?
1: Well, equipped with, with guns, of course. Should happen to board ships in this country and then run ashore in Cuba. Ah,
3: yes. Oh, but one thing, Senor. Please, uh, could you keep these plans of ours out of your newspaper... ...publicity, it is not very good for a revolution. General,
1: the American people must be kept at a high pitch of patriotism.
3: I understand, senor. This also helps to sell newspapers, no? <clears throat> the
1: people are hungry to read what we have to say. They believe in our destiny. Even if the president does not. Sí, senor.
3: Uh, then I think I shall go at once to New Orleans. I will make all the arrangements. You will provide everything else that is necessary. Good, good. I'll go as far as Washington with you, general. I want to see the Vice
1: President. Maybe I can get somewhere with him.
4: Mr.
0: President, the Vice President,
1: sir. No, thank you, Miss Sarah. Good afternoon, Mr. President. Well, Harry, sit down. What's on your mind? Mr. President,
2: I want you to understand that no one has more respect for the laws of this nation than I have. Who said you didn't, Harry? I can understand why you felt it necessary to take the stand you did about the Canadian situation with the British Charge
1: affair. Oh, didn't Mr. O'Sullivan like the stand I took about our neutrality laws?
2: Yeah. Mr. O'Sullivan is... I don't want to be presumptuous, Mr. President, but I don't think you can sit on the fence in such a vital issue. You are either for freedom or against it. Or uh, I put it this way. You're either with the voters... Or you're committing political suicide. Now,
1: wait a minute, Harry. I think you'll admit this is uh, more than just a political game. Yes,
2: I do. But what could be greater statesmanship
1: or better politics than to side with the people, our own people, and millions more in South America? That's fine. If we can help these people to find freedom through negotiations and peaceful means, that's fine. But if you're suggesting that we take measures that will start a war in the name of liberty, a war in which we might lose our own freedom just for a few votes... Well, Harry, that might e- even be worse. It might be political suicide, yes. But it might be national suicide.
2: May I say, Mr. President, that you contradict yourself? On the one hand, you say you stand for liberty, but on the other, you insist on finding reasons for not supporting it. Well, Mr. President, one man cannot stand in the way of liberty. <laughs>
3: Sullivan, you were correct about your Americans. Your men from your west have enlisted with great enthusiasm.
1: Wait until you try the southeast, General Lopez. That's closer to Cuba. You'll find even more support there.
3: Good. Now, this is the plan. The first expedition from here in New Orleans is about ready to sail. And the rendezvous is Round Island.
1: Ah, excellent, excellent. As soon as your ships are loaded, I'll return to New York and get the second expedition started.
0: Mr. President, I have an urgent message here from the New Orleans District Attorney. It's addressed to the Attorney General. He wants you to see it.
1: Well, oh, thank you, Miss Anne. General Narciso Lopez and a determined number of veterans preparing to sail from island rendezvous here. Destination unknown, but expedition is supplied with arms and ammunition. Under constant observation, but need force to prevent. Awaiting instructions, signed Logan Hunton, District Attorney, New Orleans. Hmm. Uh, Miss Sarah, will you take a message, please? Yes, sir. Uh, to Commodore Parker, United States Navy, Pensacola. You are hereby ordered to dispatch forces immediately to New Orleans to stop at all costs Lopez military expedition and return American citizens involved to our jurisdiction by order of the Commander in Chief. I have good news for you, Mr. President, from New Orleans. When Commodore Parker's ship arrived, the Lopez expedition gave up and scattered. Oh, that is good news, Jim. (laughs) Better than I expected. We stopped Lopez, but does anybody know where he was going? The New Orleans District Attorney thinks it was either Mexico or Cuba, but he isn't sure which. Well, an expedition against either one is a violation that could easily result in war. I know, but uh, we have forestalled that by your actions, sir. For the moment. But we have to find out where Lopez planned to go. The next time he may slip through our fingers, out of our hands. Uh, Yes, let's hope there won't be a next time. I'm afraid we've got to assume that Lopez will try again. Tell the Attorney General to instruct all regional officials that we must know the destination of the expedition. Yes, sir. And, Jim, while we're keeping an eye on Lopez, we've got to do something about O'Sullivan. O'Sullivan? I'm sure he's behind all this. I only wish we could prove it. Well, there is one thing I can do. Jim, I'm going to call a cabinet meeting. <laughs> Gentlemen, gentlemen, as you no doubt have been informed, prompt action by our Navy effectively stopped a dangerous filibustering expedition in New Orleans. But General Lopez, their leader, is still there.
2: Isn't it true, sir, that your prompt action not only stopped the expedition, it also prevented
1: us from learning its destination? Only temporarily, Mr. Clinton. Some of Lopez's eager young American lieutenants have admitted under questioning that they were bound for Cuba. Uh, May I point out, Mr. President, these eager young Americans as the Secretary of State has called them, had nothing to be ashamed of. I'm quite aware, I'm quite aware of their feelings and their sincerity, Mr. Clinton. Then you do not condemn them. Not their sincerity. But you bring up a point that has troubled me. If these recruits feel so passionately about the matter, I expect that they will try again. Where will they go this time? Mr. Sewell, that I imagine will depend upon the decision of General Lopez... Or Mr. John L. O'Sullivan.
2: O'Sullivan? Really, Mr. President, just because O'Sullivan is such a vigorous champion of a cause that finds such popular sympathy throughout the country, that doesn't mean that he is directing expeditions. You may be right,
1: Mr. Clinton, but for his sake and others who feel so strongly, I must take official precaution. Gentlemen, I am issuing a proclamation to the American people.
4: And here it is
1: in substance. Be it proclaimed that any armed expedition against a friendly nation is illegal and criminal... Endangering the peace and compromising the honor of this country. The law specifically covers encouraging or even countenancing violation of our treatise of neutrality. It is the duty of all good citizens to prevent such violation, and I intend to enforce the laws without exception. I advise all zealots to stay well within the law.
3: Alas, Senor O'Sullivan, you were no more successful in New York than I was
1: in New Orleans. Well, if the President thought by his proclamation he could interfere with our plans permanently, he was mistaken. In fact, he himself has told us what to do. The Presidente? I do not understand. In his proclamation, the President specifically advised all Americans to stay within the law.
3: Oh. This is good for us?
1: We have nothing to worry about unless we break the law,
3: Lopez. But, Senor, are we not back again where we started from? Uh, What we have to do... Is that not breaking the law? No, not
1: at all. Now, just listen to me. The neutrality law has many holes. The government uh, has to prove organization, enlistment, and intent and find evidence of arms and ammunition. We still have all the men and they're still there. Now, we'll just take the President's advice. We'll give each man one rifle. One rifle? But, but, senor... No, wait, General. Just wait. I told you we were going to be within the law. (laughs) What do you mean, Jim lopez sailed? I thought the New Orleans attorney was on the job. What happened? He was on the job, Mr. President. He made a complete check. But he had to allow the ships to clear the port. There was nothing he could do to stop them. Oh, he stopped Lopez before. Why not this time? Lopez was obviously acting under expert legal advice. The, the attorney general admits that the neutrality law is loosely drawn. You see, they, uh, they claim to be emigrants. Emigrants? Yeah, that's what they call themselves. Passengers, settlers, migrating to a new land. And as such, they were allowed one rifle each... And the customary equipment for settlers. One rifle each isn't very much, uh, but once they cleared the port, they were provided with further supplies smuggled out in small boats. In any case, they're at sea now, and on their way to Cuba, emigrants, sir. <laughs> How many, Jim? Uh, reports vary, sir. Over a thousand, no? Well, have a naval patrol called out for immediate duty, Jim, and order the naval commander at Pensacola to intercept the expedition, pursue them all the way to Cuba if necessary. Not- uh, notify the Spanish embassy, of course. Uh, yes, Mister. And Jim, I want the leaders. And I want to brought to trial.
3: That warship, Lieutenant. The Americans must have learned we attempted a landing off the Cuban coast. General Lopers, the Creole can never make it. The American warship will overtake us. Perhaps, Lieutenant. But they are still holding their fire. And as long as we have a chance, with Oh, right over the bow, General. The next one will hit us. Yes, the Americans' marksmanship is much better than the Spanish... Ah, uh, we will have to stop with them and surrender. <laughs>
1: Oh, hello, Harry. Won't you sit down? It'll only take me a moment, Mr. President. I suppose you've come to tell me I was wrong in having Lopez brought to trial. He was acquitted, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. If you had listened to me, you could have expected that decision. I did expect it. Then why did you bring to trial if you knew that no American
2: jury would convict a man for leading such a popular cause?
1: Mr. Clinton, it is my duty to enforce the law. It was my belief that Lopez did violate the law. I had to bring him to trial to discourage future violations. But I have no control over American judges or juries. And that's a good thing, too. I fail to see what that has to do with it. It is our good fortune in this country to have the freedom to say and think whatever we please. So I couldn't expect good Americans with a heritage of freedom to condemn men who tried to give others the same kind of freedom. The Secretary of State would like to see you. Fine. Come in, Jim. I have serious news, sir. Well... There were 52 Americans who left the Lopez expedition before it reached Cuba. They went ashore on Contoy Island. The Havana authorities found them there and have arrested them. But you said they were separated from the Lopez party. Nevertheless, sir, they face charges of piracy. In conviction for piracy means death. And I thought it was all settled. No, I'm afraid it is settled as far as we're concerned, Mr. President. There's nothing we can do about it. We'll have to let the Cuban courts decide it. But we can't just sit by and do nothing about it. If we interfere with another nation's legal procedure, we're risking war again. Jim, I've tried to avoid war at almost any price. But these 52 Americans, it's a difficult situation. I've got to think this over. President. Mr. O'Sullivan, I'm sure this isn't another courtesy call. Not exactly. I simply wanted to congratulate you on your failure. Failure? You succeeded in part. You broke up an attempt to free an oppressed people, just so you could prove yourself right. But that's where you failed. And just how did I fail? You know as well as I do, the court decided in our favor. Yes, they did. And now American citizens have been captured and will be sacrificed because of your action. What do you propose to do about that? I don't know, Mr. O'Sullivan. What do you propose I do about it? That's why I ask you the question, sir. You can do nothing. You yourself have convicted these men. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. O'Sullivan. What? You have just helped me to make an important decision. And now, good day, sir. Good day, Mr. President. Oh, Miss Shara? Yes, Mr.
0: President.
1: Uh, Get the Secretary of State over here right away. Yes, Mr. President. Uh, Jim, you told me we could do nothing about our men who were captured. Yes, I did, sir. O'Sullivan was just here to see me. He says there's nothing we can do about them. Now, Jim, when you told me that, I I had to think it over carefully. But when O'Sullivan says the same thing, then I know there must be something I can do about it, because he doesn't want me to do anything about it. I'm afraid I don't follow your reasoning, sir. If I don't take measures for these three men, uh, they will be convicted and put to death, and that's just what O'Sullivan wants. With the temper of the people being what it is, it'll guarantee war. But what do you plan to do, Mr. Fritz? Call the cabinet together at once. Gentlemen, gentlemen. You are all aware of the fact that 52 American citizens are to be tried by the Cuban courts on a most serious charge. I have decided that we must take every measure to see that they are released at once and return to this country. That's
2: fine, Mr. President. But aren't you being a little inconsistent again? I
1: don't think so, Mr. Clinton.
2: But after all, sir, by your own proclamation, you have practically branded these Americans as criminals and thrown them on the mercy of the Cuban cause. Now, if you go to their defense, this country is going to say, and say rightly, that this administration has no policy at all. Mr.
1: Clinton, you and the country knows the policy of this administration. Strict adherence to our treaties and our neutrality laws. The vigorous defense of these men is entirely consistent with that policy. But you're risking the very war you pretended to avoid. Apparently, gentlemen, you don't all agree with me. I'm sorry, but I have made up my mind. Jim, notify the Spanish Embassy that if these American citizens are convicted and put to death, I will go before Congress immediately and ask for a declaration of war.
0: Can't I get you something to eat?
1: No, no, thank you, Miss Sarah. I'm not hungry. I'm still working on my message to Congress.
0: I wish there was something I could do.
1: Miss Sarah, everybody has told me what he thinks except you.
0: Why, Mr. President, I. I...
1: Do you think I'm so inconsistent?
0: All I know is that you haven't eaten properly for days and you're ruining your health and, and you. That
1: doesn't answer my question. Don't worry about it, Miss Sarah. Uh, Mr.
0: President.
1: Jim, I've been waiting for you. Has there been any verdict? Yes, sir. Forty-nine of the defendants were acquitted by the Havana courts. Forty-nine? What about the other three? Guilty. It's ridiculous. In each case, the evidence was the same. Oh, the Spanish authorities must be trying to save face. Obviously, they think we'll settle for forty-nine. They don't realize that three American lives are as important as fifty-two. Jim informed the Spanish government that I haven't budged an inch. Our original demand still stands: acquittal and release of every one of those American citizens, or war. President, Mr. President. Yes, Jim. What is it? Good news, Mr. President. The three defendants have been pardoned. Oh, good, good, Jim. Spain must have realized that we meant what we said.
0: Oh, I'm so glad, Mr. President. Oh, Jim. <laughs>
1: it looks like we solved two important problems. Now I can tear up my war message to Congress, which, of course, pleases me greatly. Uh, now, would you answer my question, Miss Sarah? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, which question, sir?
1: Whether you believed I was being so inconsistent.
0: Well, no, but you did seem to contradict yourself a little, Tom.
1: Then you, you mean your answer is yes.
0: No, I didn't say that.
1: But that's what you think. Yes. Miss Sarah. I said all along... That we would enforce our laws. We did. Those young Americans who were captured didn't violate our laws. They had already separated from the expedition. Oh, I see. Our own American courts had found the leaders of the expedition not guilty. Yet the Cuban courts were trying to convict men who didn't actually participate at all. So what was inconsistent about what I did?
0: Well, nothing. Nothing. Now that it's all over. But it seemed at time. Ah, that's yes. just
1: it, Miss Sara. It seemed... You know, when you keep your eye on a straight line long enough, after a while you begin to think it's wavering. But that's only what you think, Miss Sarah. Actually, the line stays straight all the time. Well, have you guessed which president it was who wanted peace, but not priests at any price? It was the year 1849, and Mr. President was then... Zachary Taylor, the vice president who sometimes disagreed with his chief and was a little too ready to compromise was Millard Fillmore and the secretary of state who gave his strong support was John M. Clayton actually the Cuban problem did mean war with Spain before that country finally won her freedom in 1898 come and see me again next week won't you I'll have another story for you about the White House and Mr. President I'm sure you'll enjoy it <laughs> Edward Arnold appears as Mr President by arrangement with Metro Goldwyn Mayer, producers of Sinclair Lewis Cast Timberlane, starring Spencer Tracy, Lana Turner, and Zachary Scott. The President is presented each week by the American Broadcasting Company. It is created by Robert G. Jennings, produced and directed by Dwight Hauser. Miss Sarah was played by Betty Lou Gerson. Our story by Milton Merlin was suggested by incidents in the administration of President Zachary Taylor. Music was composed and conducted by Basil Adam. <laughs> Be sure to listen again next week when Edward Arnold brings you another story of Mr. President. Now here's a special program note. Beginning next Sunday, February 1st, Mr. President will be heard a half hour later, 11.30 to 12 noon, over most of these same ABC stations. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.